This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. It is FSU week, Gabby. Uh, always a fun rivalry, rivalry week and game for the Hurricanes, even when even when things are t- times are tough for Miami. Typically, this game is competitive um, no matter what on both sides. So uh, we will get into the game. Specifically on Thursday for a podcast, and uh, but today I think the main topic of conversation for the podcast, Gabby, needs to center around quarterback because we are at a inflection point in terms of Mario Cristobal, Shannon Dawson need to figure out which way they want to go at the most important position in all of sports. Going into Miami's most important game on the season. So uh, definitely, I think you can, we'll get into it. We're going to talk about each guy. And I think you can make a case for each guy, uh, even Tyler. I understand the sent, the current sentiment on Tyler right now. And I don't necessarily push back on that. But I still think there is a, a, a case to be made for Tyler starting this week. So Let's get into it, Gabby. Let's start with so let's talk about the pros and cons of each quarterback. And I think we have to start with Tyler since he is the the incumbent starter. He's the most veteran quarterback of the bunch. And look, I think it's fair to say a healthy and confident Tyler Van Dyke gives Miami the best chance to win. The problem with that is right now, Van Dyke is neither healthy nor confident. And that's a significant issue. I do think he's had plenty of opportunities to play out of his funk. Of course, I think of the quarterbacks on Miami's roster, um, when he is at his best, he can push the ball downfield best and provide an explosive threat in that passing game. Uh, but the problem right now is defenses are taking away um, that those passing looks with various cloud coverages, and he is unable to make the adjustment of protecting the football and methodically and efficiently working the ball downfield. He's thrown 11 interceptions this year, which is the most by any Power 5 quarterback. He has thrown 10 interceptions in ACC play. Again, not not all turnovers are created equal, but a large majority of Tyler's turnovers have been very costly, whether they are 
red zone turnovers or turnovers deep on your own end of the field. Again, I think he's had plenty of opportunities to work his way out of this situation. It's just, it's, it's turning into one of those, uh, cases where each week he's just regressing more and more and more, um, dating back to the start of ACC play against Georgia tech. So that's where things are at with Tyler. I guess where, like, if you are going to describe strengths and weaknesses, we don't need to go into like what we think, what we would do right now, but just, you know, Tyler Van Dyke is quarterback a of these quarterback options. What are your thoughts on where things are at with Tyler right now relative to giving Miami the best chance to win on Saturday? Yeah, and and I I do think that. And I think if everyone just really analyzes it and just looks at it as it is, again, like quarterback A, like this is like, I think Tyler at his best, he does give Miami the best chance to win. I think when we've seen Tyler at his best, his ability to, again, spread spray the ball around, uh, make NFL-level throws, uh, to be able to again push the ball down the field and find some of his you know receivers downfield make you know put the ball in really great places spots where only his receivers can get him give him an opportunity to make a play and I think if we could if there was a chance that that was the Tyler that we were going to get I think it's just like it's you know it's a no brainer I mean he's your starting quarterback I mean he, then he does you just operate and he just you know plays like your starting quarterback um, but I, I like obviously like you said and like everyone that listens to list that's listening to this podcast knows to this point it, it's it hasn't been that it hasn't been anything remotely close to that and um you know i think it's a fair question a very fair question at this point if, if tyler van dyke gives you uh the best chance to win and i i it's just hard to say that he does right now just because we don't know what he's or maybe we do know what he's going to do and if it's anything that resembles like what he's done over the past few weeks i mean i think that there needs to be strong consideration uh you know towards to not starting him um but again if you can promise me and you can tell me hey tyler van dyke's good like we had a good version of tyler van dyke he's going to protect the football you know he's going to be able to you know make big plays make these big time throws that he's capable of making because he's made them before then you know, I, I, it to me, it's, it, it's, it's, he's the obvious, the only choice. But, um, you know, obviously that's, that's not the case right now. So I think it's fair that we have this discussion and that this, you know, even I think internally for there to be discussions about what to do in this Florida State game. One thing I would fear if, if the coaching staff decided to go the Tyler route is, Let's say you go the Tyler route, and to me, the disaster situation is another early game interception or turnover happens. Just how deflating that would be for not only the offense, but the entire team. I think it's fair to say right now the the receivers are frustrated with where things are at with the passing game. I think it's also fair to say the defense is frustrated with where things are at with the offense and, and their inability to generate points. And so if you roll with Van Dyke, it could work out. To me, it's like one of those high risk, high reward type of decisions. But to me, the risk 
far outweighs the reward because it's just unfortunately like this isn't a one week situation where Tyler had a really bad performance against NC State and that was it. It's kind of slowly regressed to this point. And so it's hard to have much confidence that he can pull himself out of this funk against, you know, the best team Miami is going to face on this schedule. I will say this, Florida State is primarily a man coverage team. Now, of course, they could change that up against Tyler because he has struggled with zone coverages this year. Uh, but if they stay true to their identity and play primarily man coverage, that is definitely something that helps Tyler be more productive. In general, Tyler is better against man coverage. He sees it better and throws it better against those looks. So I do think just in fairness, that is something to keep in mind as well. Attention business owners. Have you filed for the employee retention credit? Do the latest IRS releases have you concerned about your filing? Are you seeking clarity on your employee retention tax credit filing? If you've done your employee retention tax credit filing to a third party and have reservations about its accuracy, turn to the experts at Musarino Furdock PLLC. Their team of experienced tax professionals will conduct a, a, a meticulous assessment of your filing, ensuring it adheres to all relevant regulations and guidelines. Their rigorous evaluation process will leave no stone unturned, providing you with a comprehensive analysis of your employee retention tax credit submission. There's no hidden fees. They're here to help business owners who may have fallen victim to a third-party scheme. Seek certainty in a complex landscape. Call Musarino Furdock, PLLC, at 561-437-0414 or visit musarinofurdock.com. That's M-U-C-E-R-I-N-O-F-U-R-D-O-C-K.com. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances.
let's move on to Emery Williams, the true freshman. He has played in four games. So if, if they roll Emery out against Florida State, that burns your red shirt. I don't think, honestly, that's under any consideration at all right now. I think it just comes down to who they think is going to give them the best chance to win. And if that's Emory, they're going to, they're going to go that way, you know, and, and I don't think Redshirt is entering into this decision-making at all. Um, and I will say this, look, we saw him start against Clemson in a small sample size. Williams did show the ability to protect the football. He went 24 of 33 for 151 yards with one touchdown and one interception. That one interception was a deep shot near the end of the first half. And quite frankly, that pick was on Jacoby George for abandoning a post route too early. So uh, he did protect the football. He did a nice job. I mean, it was a very basic game plan, you know, essentially a bunch of long handoffs in the passing game, he completed 13 of 13 passes behind the line of scrimmage against Clemson. He completed seven of eight passes on targets from zero to nine yards past the line of scrimmage. He also showed some fourth quarter moxie leading drives that equated to 10 points to send the game into overtime, including of course, a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. That was huge in that moment. To me, Gabby, the, the drawback to Emory is, number one, he's a freshman. He's inexperienced. Even though he does show poise for his age, um, he, he is still inexperienced. And this is a road game. So with that comes a new challenge. Um, he's also, you know, frankly, to me at least, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but when I watch him, he's, to me, not the most physically gifted player in terms of like arm strength and of course mobility uh and and also too look against clemson there there might have been like a surprise ish element when you throw him out there in his first start and you gotta adjust as the game progresses if he was to be the starter this week against florida state florida state's gonna have a whole game of tape to analyze and i think it's fair to say if that's the case they're going to sit on the short routes that were, you know, effective enough against Clemson and force Emory to beat you, you know, deep and outside the numbers. And also, too, I, I would expect Florida State to um, send plenty of pressures because mobility is not a strength of Emory. So I guess where are you at with Emory, quarterback B? in this decision-making process of where Miami should go this week. Yeah. And so my, my just general feelings towards Emory and just everything that I've kind of heard to him, heard about him to this point is that one thing, I think one characteristic that I think Emory has displayed where I think there's just a general consensus that he kind of possesses this is kind of that grit, right? Kind of that moxie that you were talking about where at the end of the game, he kind of showed that he was kind of able to, you know, delivers in some big moments. He hit a big third down where he was able, like where he was able to move the six, I think it was third and eight or third and 13. And um, I remember we talked about it. It was like, they, I think they converted, uh, you know, seven third, seven third downs between like the late third quarter into like through the fourth quarter in that, in that Clemson game to win. 
And that was just like, obviously a big difference. And I think just around the program, Emery Williams is considered as a guy who just kind of, you know, he just kind of has the stones, I guess, you know, like just to put it, you know, plainly, like, you know, they feel like he's just a guy that's just kind of like not really shakable. They feel like he's a, co- a high level competitor. Uh, he definitely has, you know, he's obviously young and maybe, you know, just has a little bit of, you know, maturing and things to do. But I also kind of go back to his time at the Elite 11. And I remember him sitting down with Josh Pate and Steve Wilfong. And they were just talking to him about Miami. And like Emery Williams looked straight at the camera, uh, you know, right after a throwing session and basically gave this like, you know, whole recruiting pitch about Miami and why you should go to Miami. And it's just like little things like that. And it's not everything. And I agree that there obviously are like the physical limitations where he definitely doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, I think he's still, you know, just physically growing and maturing. It just it totally in general, like he's absolutely a quarterback that could probably benefit from the red shirt. Again, that doesn't really matter right now. But I do think he's got some of that where he's willing to kind of just like buckle down and and help, you know, kind of guide a driver and deliver in those moments and not just be a, just not be afraid of the moment. Um, he's a guy from the panhandle. Uh, from my understanding, he spent a lot of time at Florida State, whether you know, kind of quietly and just like was around the program a lot, just as a recruit, even after he committed to Miami. Like, I do think Florida State recruited him. I know that they offered him. So I think there is maybe some sort of familiarity where, you know, maybe they even didn't really press for him as they pressed for Brock, Brock Len, who they ended up taking and flipping from Ohio State. So um, I do think like, you know, there it could be kind of a chip on your shoulder type of mentality for Emory Williams kind of going into Florida State and playing in this game. Uh, so I guess that would just be like my personal upside of Emery and having watched him, they're going to have to tweak some things because like you said, there's obviously a full game of tape out on him. Uh, so you're going to have to, you know, again, it was a lot of short, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, short to intermediate stuff. So I think you're going to have to find a way to, uh, you know, obviously be efficient in those things the same way while not just kind of like, you know, again, just tipping your hand. Um, but I do think there's a path like I-, I can convince myself easily that Emery Williams is playable in this game and me not just yeah. be totally like, oh, crap, this is over. I think you he's know? playable. Yeah, I agree. I think he's playable. Um, I-, I will say to me, one big difference between starting against Clemson and starting against Florida State. I do think, look, I think Florida State's defense is good, so. I wouldn't take this in any type of way, but I, I do think Clemson's defense is better. So there's that. But to me, the more important issue or difference between starting against Clemson and starting against Florida State is Clemson's offense is not very good. They don't really scare you. This FSU offense is one of the best in the country. And if you go three and out, a bunch of times that FSU offense can really put pressure on your offense. Uh, if you're unable to, again, possess the ball, pick up first downs and look, it was, it was Emery's first start of his career against Clemson. And they were definitely doing all the right things to spoon feed him and get him settled into that game. But in the first quarter of that game, uh, Miami's offense had two three and outs in that game. If you do that against Florida State, there is the potential for things to get out of hand quickly early on. And to me, I don't know if 
I don't know if Emery is at the point yet where if you're down double digit points, he is able to throw you back into the game, if that makes sense. So yeah, I do think that's something to keep in mind. Florida State's offense and how they can impact what Miami has to do offensively. And look, Mike Norvell is one of the best in the country at scripting it up on the first drive of the game, putting pressure on your offense as well. Now, I will say, like, in that Clemson game, Miami eventually settled in. They started possessing the ball. They put together that nine-minute drive that went for a touchdown. And, you know, they 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 definitely ended up controlling the ball by the end of the game. Uh, but a bad Clemson offense allowed Miami to be in that situation, if that makes sense. Um, so look, I, I do think it's tough to compare playing against Clemson and Florida state. I do think Miami's best path. I mean, we'll get into this on Thursday, but Miami's best path is to drag Florida, try to drag Florida state into deep waters and get it to the fourth quarter, let the chips fall where they fall. But look, let's be real too. Against Clemson, you only scored 17 points at the end of regulation. Included in that was an 80-yard touchdown, essentially an 80-yard touchdown run by Burchard. I know he wasn't credited with it because he fumbled it, but that's essentially what the play was. It also took a 15-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that took nine minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter, and then, of course, another field goal in the fourth quarter. Can that be replicated? Can Emery get it done if you open things up just a little more for him in the passing game? I'm not saying he can't, but I think these are fair questions to ask if you're going to go with Emery as a starter. Does that make sense? And 100%. I don't want yeah. to come across as like anti-Emery. I'm not. But I think these are differences between play, playing against Clemson and playing against Florida State for sure. that matter. Yeah, and I think all these points, I mean, everything that we're talking about matters. Like there's, I think there's just multiple angles and multiple ways to look at it. And I think all this stuff, I think it just, I think it all provides, you know, really good context to, like, I didn't, I hadn't even really thought of it, uh, thought of it that way, but it's, I mean, that's, that's all really good. Like, those are just great points to kind of consider in all of this. Jakari Brown is the other quarterback, the other scholarship quarterback on the roster. He now has his red shirt intact. Uh, there are three regular season games left and a bowl game. So theoretically he could play in all four remaining games and still maintain his red shirt. Um, and look with Jakari, I think it's fair to say there are definitely concerns with his passing consistency, specifically with his accuracy. I personally don't think like decision-making or reading defenses is an issue with him. I just think it's, it's the accuracy thing. And I think, look, it's confidence with the accuracy. So if, a bad ball happens early on, I think there is a chance for things to spiral on him. We've seen that in scrimmages, right? Where he's had some bad balls and he kind of gets in his own head, starts aiming it too much and just can never get out of that funk. So I think that's on the table with him as a player. Um, 
And that is definitely something that matters, right? I also think if you're going to get the most out of an offense with Jakari Brown as the quarterback, you would have to tweak your approach on offense. And frankly, I'm not sold that Shannon Dawson wants to do that at this point of the season. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't get that vibe. And look, on the flip side of all this, I do, you know, we do have to recognize we have seen Jakari start and have some success against a power five opponent. Last year, he started on the road at Georgia Tech, completed 14 of 19 passes for 136 yards and three touchdowns while rushing for 87 yards. Um, and look, I, I understand Georgia Tech is not as good of an opponent as Clemson, who Embry earned a win against. And of course, they are not as good of an opponent as Florida State this week. But when you go back and look at the numbers from that Georgia Tech game, Miami was in the 80th percentile in success rate, which again is essentially efficiency on a down-to-down basis. Miami was not explosive at all in that game with an explosive rate of just in the second percentile. But what Jakari brings to the game is the potential to stay ahead of the chains because of his dynamic athleticism and running ability. And I think if you call a game that leans into that, I think you can potentially, you know, see some success in a ball control-y type of offense. Um, And look, I am curious, I'll admit, I am curious, what would that look like with Jakari one year older? Because while I do think it's fair to say accuracy is a concern, I also think it's fair to say he's improved in that regard. Like he is better. He is a more accurate passer this year than he was last year. I think too, I am curious what it would look like with him playing behind a much improved offensive line. I am also curious what it would look like playing with a better receiving core. And so I also think the last case, Gabby, and I'll let you go. To me, he's the best athlete on the team. Six feet four, 230 pounds. The offense in general has been devoid of like consistent playmaking in recent weeks. And I think if you use Jakari right, he gives you another playmake, another playmaking dimension at quarterback that defenses have to account for. So, you know, look, do. Am I pounding the table for Jakari to start? I don't know, but I do want to see him. And so I am hopeful, or not hopeful, I would like to see Jakari at some point in these last three games. Yeah, I, again, I think it's I think it's absolutely worth seeing and kind of to a point that you made like earlier, like if if the path to victory is dragging this thing into deep waters or trying to drag this thing to deep waters, I mean, you can make the you can make the case that Jakari can make this just like a straight up line of scrimmage battle. And obviously you're going to have to be efficient with it. But if Mark Fletcher's coming along at six foot two, 225 pounds, and then you got Jakari at six, four, what, 235 pounds. And you have that big, that big offensive line, the improved offensive line. I'm curious just again, like with, with how much they kind of went to the run against NC state, 
I mean, what would that look like? Again, maybe even in short yardage situations or where you need a few yards, putting Jakari and Mark Fletcher in the same backfield with, you know, the kind of personnel that you have around him. And and look, I mean, I, I think that there's a case that, again, is Jakari maybe the best option to start? I, I don't know. I also kind of feel like like maybe it's, it's also hard to judge where Jakari is because, like, I also feel like he's the type of player you kind of need to see in a game, in a real-life situation to kind of see what he's about. And when he was kind of thrust into that situation against Georgia Tech, he did perform. And again, like, like you know, obviously there's a significant difference in the two, but I think you see that if you kind of tailor it towards Jakari... He should not you, have been playing last year. That's right. the thing, too. Like, yeah, of course, of course. Like, he definitely should not have been playing. That was just like a just a snowball, just gigantic downhill snowball of things that went wrong that led to Shikari having to play. Um, And I just think that, you know, you can make this game really muddy, really, really physical if you give Jakari the opportunity to get out there. And what, again, is it to start? I don't know. But, you know, again, and just even looking how at how Florida State kind of performed against maybe a more mobile quarterback early in the season, uh, they went to Boston College, played Thomas Castellanos, another kid from the state of Georgia, different physique. Thomas Castellanos is a much smaller guy, uh, but he went 20 of 33 passing for 305 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He also ran the ball 16 times for 95 yards and a touchdown, had a long run of 45. And, obviously, you know, Thomas Castellanos just being a smaller, you know, mobile quarterback and they're different styles, but just the, the, the mobility factor in general. Florida State gave up four four explosive plays. Uh, they gave up a gain of 42, a gain of 35, a gain of 28, a game of a gain of 52 in the past game, and then again had the long run of 45. So if you give them that like you know multi-dimensional element, if Jakari can be accurate enough, I'm not even saying he needs to right. be like just pinpoint. It's just yeah. like that running threat and his ability to run can create like more favorable matchups for the corners. I mean for the for the wide receivers where it's just kind of like can you be can you beat your man coverage and go make a play? And I think Jakari can deliver a ball well enough where it's just like, hey man, like gotta kind of got to go get it. See if you can kind of shake your guy and just give him an opportunity. And I think Florida State's defense just in general, I mean, they gave up a huge explosive play last week against Pitt. Like I'm not like, I don't think that that secondary is like not gettable, uh, you know, uh, just considering, you know, where Miami's at from a receiver standpoint. So if Jakari can be efficient and, you know, really just be effective with his legs, I think it can potentially open up more favorable passing lanes for him when he does need to kind of throw it because you have to account so thoroughly for that running game again of Jakari and a guy like Mark Fletcher two just big massive bodies who can be physical and really make this a muddy kind of grinder of a game which I think it has to be if you're going to beat a team like Florida State in Tallahassee uh so I don't know I guess that's my case for Jakari I, I I don't know what exactly it looks like and I'm not even saying like I'm like fully prepared to just like commit to Jakari for four full quarters and just say you're the guy right. but I absolutely think that this is a game that we should see Jakari in in some form or fashion because I think what he bring that element just that different element that he brings that level of physicality you, he, it requires to kind of you know you know just kind of zero in on that potential running duo of Jakari and Mark Fletcher I think can be a weapon but I don't know if Miami's going to do it they haven't done it yet but that's my case I guess for for Jakari it's interesting from like a defensive perspective how each guy kind of would require Florida state to take different approaches. Cause I think the best approach again for Tyler is you zone them up cloud coverages, take away the deep ball with Emery. I would sit on the short stuff, 
man coverage, press the receivers, make Emery beat you that way. With Chikari, I think you you stack the box and you force him, kind of similar to Emery, I guess, you force him as a passer to uh, win on the outside, deep and outside. So uh, that's also something to keep in mind. How about, so, I mean, so that's going through all three all three quarterbacks. Um, the big question, though, is, you know, who ultimately gives Miami the, the best chance to win? And that's the question that the coaches are trying to figure out. I'm under the impression, Gabby, right now as we record this, I don't think a decision's been made. I think what's going on is, you know, it's a somewhat of a competition. I think guys are kind of splitting some reps and, you know, so I think the next talking point is how do we think Miami's coaches are going to handle this thing during the course of the week? And if we were going to predict who they might give the starting nod to, who do you think? Do you want me to go first? You want to answer this first? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you you could tackle it, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I can just just share my opinion, like how how I think they're gonna handle it. I think they're gonna give all these guys, you know, again, I think they're all gonna get a fair share of of their reps, and I, I think that you know Mario Cristobal on Monday not publicly like backing Tyler Van Dyke as his starting quarterback, you know, just not saying yeah he's our starter, he's our guy. I think the fact that he uh, kind of left it open ended. Uh, I think shows that there is going to be a real competition where they're just going to let these guys kind of, you know, battle this thing out. And I honestly think it's going to be up to one of Emery or Jakari to kind of just do something like maybe that just really kind of, I don't know if it forces the issue, like maybe in this is not even like, I, I just feel like one of those guys is going to have to just really just maybe impress or show something for them to actually, you know, go ahead and make that decision. What I think the coach, what I personally think the coaches are going to do, and obviously I, I don't have intel on this. This is just what I think. I do think that Tyler is going to start the game. Like I do think that they're going to ultimately land on Tyler. Um, you know, I, I, I would be honestly a little bit surprised if they didn't. Uh, I, I wish that they would kind of, I, I, I hope that maybe we see something different at this point. Um, just cause I feel what like there makes needs you to... say that. I think it's just a feeling I have. Like, I think it's just like my gut is just telling me that they're just going to end up rolling with Tyler, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know for sure. That's what I'm saying. I just feel like it's going to end up being Tyler again. Like I just think going to Florida state, all that stuff again. When, and I think it's easy to convince I think it can be e easy for, to convince yourself that Tyler gives, them the best chance to win if he performs at a level that is acceptable which he hasn't but can he right. yes he can so that's just my line of thinking i just feel like they're ultimately gonna maybe make it like maybe throw some more adversity at him over the course of the week at practice but ultimately land on him when it's time to send someone out against florida state and again this is just my opinion i i don't yeah. Have any knowledge fair. of how the how that's playing out so far? Well, they and it's haven't made only a decision yet, right? And they it's only haven't. Tuesday afternoon as we're recording this, so there's still so much time left to go. They have not made a decision yet, and I do think it boils down to Emery or Tyler as the starter. And I do think there's a chance Jakari. You know, I think in general Jakari gets reps with the scout team. I don't know if that's going to be the case this week. I think he is getting more reps with like the second team this week. Um, 
And so to me, I think it's going to come down to Emery or Tyler as the starter. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a little package for Jakari. Now, will we see that Jakari package? That probably comes down to game flow. Um, but I kind of get the sense that, I mean, not get the sense. I think you got to go Emery. So I will predict Emery. I I don't disagree with anything you said, Gabby, in terms of Tyler, but I think there is a sense internally that they know it's just time and they've given him every opportunity to get out of it. You know, they've, they've protected him very well with a good offensive line. And at the end of the day, these issues come back to Tyler and his inability to read zone coverages and lately, he cannot even deliver accurate passes. So I think they know if they go with Tyler and it goes poorly, the buy-in with the team is going to be something they have to deal with moving forward. Um, whereas you go with Emery slash Jakari, you know, you just go, you you just approach it as you know, we're playing some young guys and we're going to try and figure it out with a, a ball control type of approach. What would, if you were predict, like, let's say head coach Gabby Urrutia is making the decision, how would you handle it? Yeah, I, I think that I would go a mix of Emery Williams and, and Jakari Brown. Uh, that's just what I want to see at this point. Again, and, and it, I think it goes back to, along like my just general thinking is is kind of like what you just said is just like how many times can we just see this over and over and over again before we just kind of just all agree it's just time to to turn the page it's it's time to move on I think it's important honestly at this point of the season I mean you're six and three I mean obviously you want to finish November strong but I think you also kind of have to see what you have in Emory Williams yeah. like can, can he be your quarterback in 2025 like do you both need those to go guys, I think yeah bo- both of them right and uh, and I say Emory just because I think again like we, I do think he would get the start if anything like yes. I do think that Emory would be the guy that they kind of roll with if they were starting someone that's not Tyler but I think you need to see what these guys have like I think you need to see what you have in Emory he's gonna have to play in these types of games him and Jakari are gonna have to play in these types of games if they're just moving if, if these are the two moving forward and if they're going to compete in 2024 so I mean I think it's important to just kind of I, I just think there's no I just it's kind of like the risk like we said earlier like like the risk kind of outweighs the reward like yeah maybe Tyler gives you a best chance the better chance to win but if he doesn't I think there's a lot there's I think there's a locker room dynamic that absolutely comes into play here of just like you really trotted this guy out again when he's just been like seriously, right. seriously struggling and just kind of you got to kind of start figuring out what you got in your room and who can kind of deliver in these types of moments. So, I mean, I would just for me, it's time to turn the page for me. I want to see something else. And, you know, it, I'm not even saying I want like I expect these guys to lead Miami to a win. Like, I'm not even saying yeah. that. I just want to see what they what they have, what they are. And like, I think it's important to figure out what grounds we're kind of working with, what type of soil we're working with moving forward as you head into an offseason where there's going to be arms available. And, you know, just again, the just the craziness, the madness of the transfer portal. Yeah, I I agree with you, like. 
I kind of want to see, I guess, a mix of Emery and Jakari. But I'll be honest, like, I am much more intrigued about what Jakari looks like. And so I just want to get a real look at him, whatever that means. And, you know, I think it's time to get a feel for what he can do. I think, you know, look, I'm, I'm not expecting him to light it up if he does get an opportunity. Uh, but I do think he is the type of quarterback you can only evaluate in games. Number one, he is a gamer type. Like he is a guy that rises to the occasion. And also his skill set can only be judged in games because in, in practices and in scrimmages, you can't touch quarterbacks. And, and Jakari is a, a physically gifted quarterback whose superpower is his dynamic athleticism and arm strength to push the ball downfield. You know, I, I look at the other sideline in this game, Gabby, and uh, I see a program that saw a hardworking guy with intriguing athletic traits in Jordan Travis, and they believed in him. They they stuck with him. They developed him. They gave him competition. You know, they, they definitely brought in a guy to, to maybe replace him in, in McKenzie Milton a couple years back, but Jordan grinded that competition out and, and the cream rose to the top there as he kept getting better and better and better as a passer. And look, I think, you know, that 2020 season was kind of Jordan's first year as a starter. Wasn't very impressive, um, but he stuck with it and is now one of the best quarter, you know, quarterbacks in college football. He is a very good college quarterback. And that's just kind of where I'm at in general with that position. I just want good college quarterbacks, guys that can be somewhat of a dual threat, move the ball, guys that are magnetic, guys that attract other top talent, if that makes sense. You know, I, I look at like a Jalen Milrow, and I see a lot of similarities in terms of just physical traits. I'm not saying Jakari is Jalen Milrow right now. But to me, they're both high-level athletes that could really throw the ball downfield. Alabama has finally gone all in on building the offense around Jalen Milrow. And he's going to put, I think, the Crimson Tide in the national championship picture. We'll see if they get it done. But uh, they are definitely a much improved team now that they've gone all in on Jalen Milrow and what he does well uh, compared to how they looked earlier in the season. Last year... Jalen Milrow had a spot start for Bryce Young against Texas A&M. Milrow went out and went 12 of 19 for 111 yards with three touchdowns and one interception in that game. He also ran for 81 yards on 17 attempts, and Alabama won that game 24-20. So, look, Milrow's a year older than Jakari, and he's pro he he definitely not definitely he did arrive at the college level as a more advanced passer than Jakari. But what I'm getting at again is this is college football, man. So let's stop worrying about like how high a guy's floor is. And let's start, you know, pouring into the guy with the really high ceiling. Is Jakari going to be the answer? I honestly don't know, but I think the program needs to find out because it would be a shame to see him go and then see him ball out somewhere else. So that's my take. I, I mean, look, I think it's a tough path anyways to the victory, but 
and, and look, the, the schedule, this is where you're at, right? In terms of like, to me, I don't think about like, oh, you don't want to ruin Emery or you don't want to ruin Shikari by throwing them out there this week. Unfortunately, this is where things are at. And yeah. these you don't guys have that gotta, luxury right now. Yeah. You got to go perform. And uh, so I, I am curious how Emery handles it. I would, I also too want to see what, what Shikari can do in a game. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think, you know, just sticking with guys like Jakari long-term, I think it just, you know, there's, I feel like just in in college football, I mean, just just watch it on Saturdays and you see a lot of older veteran quarterbacks who just figure it out later in their career. Like I think Jordan Travis is a really, really good example um, you know, I think there are a few others. I mean, I think Hendon Hooker is a, is a good example. You know, uh, just his career at Virginia Tech goes to Tennessee late in his career, has an awesome year. I mean, Mike, again, he's obviously different quarterbacks, but Michael Penix spent, what, three, four years at Indiana, and no one really knew who Michael Penix was. And Washington kind of rolls a dice on him late in his career, and he ends up turning into one of the nation's top passers. I just think some guys, there's, there's, there are NFL quarterbacks who take time to develop. Like there are NFL guys mm-hmm. that get to the league and then they still need like three or four years of seasoning before they're even ready to play at that level. Like, why are we, I, I mean, I'm not ready to just kind of like, because of who Jakari might be right now, which we honestly don't know because we haven't seen him. But if we're just kind of making all these just like long-term assumptions or just like, oh, Jakari can't be it. Like, I think that's very, very short-minded. And I think it's just like, you're like, he's someone you need to invest in and pour into long-term because if Jakari does, like, if he does put it all together, like you said, like that ceiling is higher. Yeah, he has star potential, star potential. And I don't think Miami doesn't think he, like, I don't think Miami... It's just like, oh, he they doesn't have it. That. Right. Yeah. Like I remember over the summer, like, you know, just over the camp and all that stuff, you know, someone at Miami like was talking to like talking about Jakari. It's like, oh, future Heisman Trophy winner, Jakari Brown. Like people love Jakari. Like people think that he's extremely, extremely talented. But I think with guys like Jakari, you have to just be willing to be patient and you have to be willing to again give him an opportunity to yeah, give him so. give him an opportunity here and there, especially and I think this is a great time to show Jakari in this transfer portal era. That hey, we're gonna give you a shot, and you know you like your performance can right. you, you know perform. give you an opportunity. Yeah, you got to perform. Absolutely have to perform. I mean, we're not just like handing things out around here, but I think you have to give him the opportunity to perform balls in his court at that point to either deliver or to not deliver. And I still, I still do think that Miami needs to continue to invest in him because I, I think he's just. I think he, I, I just feel like he's the type of kid that it's just all gonna click one day. And I, yeah. when it does click, I hope it's at Miami and I hope it's not somewhere else. Cause I do feel like, you know, a couple years down the line, Jakari Brown like randomly reemerges somewhere. And then he's, we're just talking about him as, you know, just a really, really good college quarterback. And I, again, I hope that it's, it's here at Miami where that happens. And hopefully this, this Saturday could be the start of, you know, him just continue your, or begin that kind of track taking a step. of yeah. right, taking that step. All right. So that's our quarterback talk. Hopefully that was, Somewhat interesting. I think it was. I think um, it was too. We'll get into the Florida State game specifically here in, in another podcast. But let's take a break here and let's talk about this game from a Florida State Miami recruiting battles perspective because this game does matter on the trail. And um, let's get into that on the other side. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we are back. Gabby, Florida State Miami is significant in terms of talent acquisition. Of course, in high school recruiting, it always has been. It also, frankly, matters now in this transfer portal era because these two schools battle it out in that area as well. So let's talk about just the guys that are kind of on the rosters now and, and review the Florida State-Miami battles, who won those battles, I guess who's making impacts, et cetera, et cetera. Who, who would you highlight? Let's start with Miami first. Yeah, some Miami guys that – some players I think Miami definitely won, you know, in this in some of these battles. I think it starts – I think we have to start with Ruben Bain. Um, you know, the, the obviously star freshman defensive end for Miami who's kind of taken the ACC by storm and has emerged as one of the conference's best defensive linemen. I mean, I think Miami and Florida State were, were really, really in there. Obviously, others were too. Auburn was was really in the thick of that one. But I think Miami and Florida State were were two that were definitely prime contenders. So I think Miami finding a way to win that recruiting battle was a really, really big deal. And it, it, it didn't just come easy because he went to Miami Central or that he had a brother on staff. Miami had to grind that one out and they found a way to get it done. He spent a ton of time at Florida State over the course of his process. So he's he's one for sure. Um, Wesley Besaint is another one that I would highlight. Uh, the linebacker, again, Miami Central, where at one point it almost looked like, and this was like tail end of the Manny Diaz era where it kind of became obvious that he wasn't coming back. And, um, you know, I think, I think Wesley committed, ended up committing to Miami, like as that, trans- if I remember correctly, David, and you can correct me here, like as that transition was like happening, Wesley decided to commit to Miami. And uh, it was very, very close between the two at the end. I think there was a very real chance he ended up at Florida State. So I think that was a really big one. Um, Damari Brown, kind of same deal last cycle. It came down to really Florida State, Miami, and Alabama. And, uh, you know, I think that at one point was tight, especially when his older brother, Devontae Brown, when, uh, you know, entered the transfer portal. You know, Florida State got the Browns up there. He basically took a, he took a, like a second official visit to Florida State pretty much just because his older brother Devontae took an official visit to Florida state and Damari tagged along. Um, so Florida state essentially got like two official visits from Damari Brown. And, uh, you know, so they were really working there. Nigel E. Kelly at Miami, uh, was that one time a Florida state commit, uh, you know, Miami chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, got that done. Uh, you know, really as Mario Cristobal transitioned from Oregon to Miami, uh, Miami became probably a more real player there than they ever had been over the course of the cycle and found a way to lock him up. So th- those are a couple, um, you know, then just to kind of spray some names out there. Like I think Jalil Skinner 
was highly considering Florida State throughout his process. Uh, just kind of looking back through some old recruitments, it seems like Florida State was hot, was really involved with Jalen Rivers. David, you might know that better than I would, um, but it seems like Florida State was, he seemed to have visited them a few times. And then Emory Williams. I think Emory Williams, again, I, I, I believe Florida State offered him. I'm not saying that Florida State, he was like Florida State's like, number one quarterback yeah. target. But I think if they would have missed out on Brock Glenn, who again, who they flipped from Ohio state, I think they probably would have zeroed in on Emory. And honestly, I think they might've had a, a chance at getting that done. Cause from again, what I have gathered, I think he has spent some, I think he spent half decent amount of time at Florida state, uh, you know, as a, as a senior. So um, those are just, he might have family that is like Florida state alums. I, yeah. I could be wrong about that, but he might, I mean, it's, it's way closer to home than Miami yeah. was. And, all that. So I think those are, are absolutely a few uh, on the Miami side that, that stand out. Then how about on the Florida state side, some of the battles that Florida state won over Miami? Yeah. I think just even more recently, like I think Jared verse is one. And uh, you know, when Jared verse was coming, it was narrowing things down and making a decision of uh, Miami and Florida state were two that were really, really in there. Uh, I think LSU was in there, but I know Miami was a, like a finalist in, in that recruitment. And uh, I think maybe they were, they could have been like third, maybe fourth. Yeah. I don't know. But Miami was was really trying to get Jared Verse. He ends up at Florida State. Uh, obviously, he's gone on to have a very successful career there. This past cycle, Hakeem Williams, uh, the five star, the former five star wide receiver out of Fort Lauderdale, Stranahan. Uh, I think just like internally, uh, maybe Armando Blunt changed this. So this was pre Armando Blunt. But I think internally, I think Miami felt like this was like the truest uh, Florida State recruiting win that they had like directly over Miami was because Miami really did want Hakeem Williams, Florida state sure. got him. And uh, you know, I think that was a big one. Uh, Conrad Hussey last cycle. Um, you know, I think that was a product of Miami kind of maybe dropping the ball a little bit by not like fully committing to recruiting him, uh, you know, long-term. He's good. He's, he's, he's good. really good. Yeah. He, and it's just like, and I look at like the safety depth Miami, yeah. you know, like Conrad Hussey would be like, like yeah. I feel like I, we would know that he's going to be one of those two starting safeties next year. Like I think, you know, yep. they did. That's a miss. That's, they, a, miss. that's a it, It's definitely a miss. And I think it's, be, I think just, I don't think that they did the best job of recruiting him like big, you know, like wire to wire. I think that they kind of recruited him in pockets. And at the end right. of the cycle, it was kind of just like all in. And they were really, really all in like late November through like, you know, December where they got him, they got his last official visit. He officially visited Miami when Mark Fletcher was, when visited Miami, it was like JV and Cohen, um, uh, Dante Thornton, Thomas Gore were on that official visit weekend. I think it was like the Washington Twins. Like Conrad Hussey was on that big final official visit weekend that eventually led to them getting Mark Fletcher. I think Mark Fletcher committed to them that night. Uh, JV and Cohen committed to them like that afternoon. Um, so Miami just pressed. And it seemed like that one honestly went back and forth over the last like three days. That was a lot. Yeah. That was crazy. That was a crazy one to like that. We were tracking there at the end. And, uh, you know, Hussey also has obviously, you know, really like deep ties with like Jason Taylor, like Jason Taylor and Hussey go way, way, way back. Uh, just cause Taylor and, you know, I think their kid, the kids grew up together. Mason Taylor and Hussey grew up together. Uh, Jason Taylor was obviously the DC at St. Thomas Aquinas. So, uh, the kids are friends, all that. So, uh, you know, it was obviously disappointing to lose that one. Uh, another one that stands out, and this isn't like current Miami staff, but Pat, uh, Pat Payton, uh, Florida State's yeah. defensive end. Uh, huge miss. Huge miss. And I th- I mean, no, not excusing it at all, but it was also the weird cycle where there was not really any like 
a like in-person evaluation that was going on. That was like during the 2020 calendar year, but it was a 2020 recruiting cycle. I mean, and the way it kind of boils down, I think ultimately Miami chose to take Jabari Ishmael over Patrick Payton. Like, I think that was kind of just like what Oof. had happened. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's no excuse. Miami had Cameron Kitchens from Hello Brinson. Yeah. Yeah. Make room, which I think we were advocating for at the time. Right. And they didn't. Uh, Patrick Payton has obviously gone on to have a very, very good um, career at Florida State. Uh, I think a couple other, another transfer one that stands out, Tatum Bethune, uh, the linebacker. He's a good player. UCF transfer. Yeah, UCF transfer. It was Miami, Florida State. Uh, you know, maybe the truest, like, tran- I think that's like the truest transfer recruiting battle Miami and Florida State have had. Because um, I think it was literally just Miami and Florida State. Maybe it was for Devontae Brown, too. Um but I think, you know, that was one that fell Florida State's way. Uh, he obviously played at UCF with Randy Shannon, who's the co-DC and linebackers coach at Florida State. So I think he kind of went back with Randy Shannon, where there was obviously some familiarity. And again, maybe just some quick hitters. Uh, Julian Armella, uh, the, you know, local offensive lineman in that 2022 recruiting cycle. Uh, again, I think Mario Cristobal just pushed late, like when he got here, tried to kind of get him on board. I think he almost got him to not sign in the, during the early signing period. But then like at the end, they just kind of ended up following through with Florida State. But I think Mario Cristobal made that tight, uh, you know, just during that pocket that he was here between when he got hired and and um, when he like obviously that signing period, which is, again, just a couple weeks uh, Daniel Lyons is another one that comes to mind. I think Manny Diaz and that staff like liked him, but it was also a weird recruitment. He ends up going to Florida State, but man, what a what would a six foot four, two hundred and ninety pound defensive tackle look like? You know, he's been playing a little bit more uh, over these last. He's played thirty snaps over the last two weeks, um, so I think he's just a body type that I think this roster could have used that obviously didn't fall their way. And then a couple that kind of date back that I think are interesting. Dennis Briggs, again, this is before my time, but it looks like, you know, he took a Miami official visit, a South Carolina official visit, and a Florida State official visit in January leading up to the traditional uh, signing period in that class of 2020, that class of 2018. And he ended up uh, committing to Florida State off of that final official visit. Akeem Dent, uh, the he started 35 games for Florida State. He was an early Miami commit. Uh, ended up basically committing to Florida State a year later and then kind of followed through. But I think my I think over the course of his senior year, just looking back at his 24-7 uh, cat, like, timeline, seems like he visited Miami a couple times during his senior year against David. I think he would have a better grasp of both of those recruitments. And uh, I guess the last one I'll highlight is Edwin Joseph. Again, another member of that 2023 recruiting cycle, who Miami was really hot and cold with at times. I think they were the first to kind of like really apply the pressure. And I think at one point, I know at one point, like Miami led on the crystal ball. I know me and Ivans had picks in for Miami and then Miami kind of dwindled down. They were also going through like the Cormani McLean saga. So it was just like trying to figure out the Cormani McLean thing. They were chasing Damari Brown. They were chasing Jermaine Matthews, who's having a really, really good freshman season at Ohio State and a few other guys. And I think Edwin Joseph kind of became like a plan B type that kind of reemerged as a plan A type when they missed on when Matthews kind of ended up shutting down his recruitment when Miami was really getting involved. And uh, obviously Cormani, that whole thing, how that played out. Um, but I think Miami wishes they could have that one back as well. Cause I think they do like Edwin Joseph out of Hollywood, Shaman Madonna two way guy um, that I feel like maybe they, they kind of, again, maybe drop the ball for the holiday season is upon us and midway sports is here to take care of all of your sporting good needs. Check out their wide range of selections for all your golf, pickleball, football, basketball, and baseball needs with a variety of top-of-the-line necessities and accessories to help you look and perform your best on the field of play. 
all of that located just a mile south of the University of Miami campus. Midway Sports is also there for all of your team uniform needs, whether that be your kids' Little League team or your adult softball team. Tell them Gabby Rudia with Through the Smoke sent you, and they will take 30% off the price of, of the cost of your uniform order. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at torreslionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Interesting. And uh, how about this 2024 cycle? Some of the big recruiting battles going on this cycle, maybe that either haven't been determined yet or that have been determined. You mentioned Armando Blunt. That's obviously one here recently that went from, you know, it seemed like Florida State was kind of trending. Then he commits to Miami. Then he flips to Florida State. I guess where are things at now, do you think, with Armando? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just one of those. I mean, this is like classic Miami-Florida State rivalry, right? That's kind of how I describe Like, this is just a, this will go down as, you know, a, you know, just textbook Miami-Florida State recruiting battle. Uh, Like you said, David, you you had, you highlighted the timeline of everything uh, really well. And yeah, I think now it's just about Miami kind of trying to chip back. You know, they obviously, uh, uh, they're, they were going to meet and that didn't happen. That kind of caught some smoke, uh, you know, just with media and all that stuff. And that kind of got exposed They were brought to the light. And then I think everyone just kind of hit the pause button there. Um, you know, so I think at some point Miami and the blunts, maybe they have already, I don't think I'll find out if they have just because I think just the nature of, uh, that recruitment right now. Um, but I know Miami, it seems like, are, are they going to get an opportunity to kind of talk and see where things are kind of at and see what can kind of be done. But look, I mean, Miami's not going to stop recruiting him at all, uh, you know, between now and signing day. So, uh, you know, I expect this one to just be ongoing, but, you know, obviously I, I think just considering the back and forth and the flip-flops, uh, you know, I would, I would wager that, you know, he kind of follows through on Florida state. Any, any other notable 2024 battles that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, another one that hasn't really been settled yet, I think Jeremiah Smith, uh, the number one ranked player in the country, number one ranked wide receiver uh, out of Chaminade Madonna, uh, you know, right here in Broward County, uh, you know, again, and he's committed to Ohio State. So it's just like, this could be a, you know, this is a version of a Miami-Florida State battle where maybe none of them benefit from it. But uh, Miami has obviously gotten a very thorough look from Jeremiah Smith. He's been around the program plenty, uh, you know, just at games on campus, all that type of stuff. And now he's going to be up in Tallahassee this weekend, watching Miami versus Florida state uh, from, you know, the Seminoles recruiting section. So he's giving both programs a, a real, real look. And uh, you know, again, just there's others that have just been settled at this point. Like, you know, I think Zaquan Patterson is one that stands out where there was just a Miami, Florida state kind of back and forth where it seemed like Florida state had some early commitment week buzz of Miami by Friday night had kind of figured it out. Uh, Josiah Trader again, Jeremiah Smith's teammate. I I think people don't realize how like really, really in it Florida State was there. Like I think Florida State was like you know probably potentially a leader. Uh, you know at one point of his recruitment, Miami kind of backdoored their way into a commitment. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise up there. 
Uh, so, I mean, that was, I think, a direct Miami versus Florida State battle that Miami kind of came out and won. Uh, and then, like, there's one that's kind of still ongoing, and that's Artavius Jones, the Miami defensive line commit who committed to Miami over the summer, but Florida State's really, really turned turned the temperature up. And he's been at Florida State a ton. And, uh, you know, I think that's still kind of an ongoing situation. He is, of course, still committed to Miami. But I think that Artavius Jones is going to have to ultimately decide, like, am I going to Miami or am I going to Florida State? So I think that that's certainly one that, again, is, is right now is in Miami's favor. Uh, that stands. I, I think last one I'll highlight, just because, again, this is another one that hasn't really been settled. Uh, Xavier Lucas, the Plantation American Heritage, defensive back, Miami's recruiting as a cornerback. I think that he's committed to Wisconsin right now, but Miami and Florida State are both really, really trying to flip him from Wisconsin. And uh, he's another that's going to be in, in Tallahassee this weekend as you know, with Miami playing Florida State. And uh, the Hurricanes have done a really good job in that recruitment and uh, really want to add him to this class. So I think that's another one that should could, could could technically be categorized as a Miami Florida State battle, even though you know Wisconsin is obviously holds his commitment, and there is a chance he follows through with that. But Miami and Florida State are both battling for this, uh, you know, South Florida DB. Last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here, Gabby, is FSU's use of the transfer portal. I think you know, look, they've done a really good job uh, adding talent and depth to their roster via the transfer portal. And to me, you know, look, as this season progresses and they definitely look like a team that's, I mean, right now they're in the college football playoff if it's played tomorrow. Uh, and they're looking like a team that's trending in that direction of if the ACC has a college football playoff representative, it's going to be Florida state. Uh, so we'll see if they can continue stacking wins, but you know, they are an interesting case study to me in terms of, uh, you know, number one, can you make the college football playoff as a transfer portal heavy team? Number two, can you go win a championship as a transfer portal heavy team? So, you know, so I think it's a matter of time before, you know, someone breaks through and, and kind of pulls that off is Florida state, is this Florida State team going to be able to do that? I think it's an interesting case study. But I just want to highlight, you know, the job that they've done in the transfer portal, particularly the last two cycles, because I think they've done a nice job hitting on some elite talent at the college level, uh, you know, with their roster. Like Obviously, uh, Keon Coleman this offseason is, is kind of their premier addition in the transfer portal. He is... Big time wide receiver. They got him from Michigan State. He has elevated their offense to another level uh, compared to what we saw last year. I would say tight end Jaheim Bell is a big time transfer portal addition at that position group. Landed him uh, out of South Carolina. They also landed a starter in Fentrell Cypress at cornerback. They landed. I think he's a really good college defensive tackle in Braden Fisk. They have they landed two starters on the offensive line in Jeremiah Byers, who plays right tackle for them. He came from UTEP, and Casey Roddick, who comes from Colorado. Um, so those are big time additions. And look, as we know, like talent to me, college football in a big picture sense is about three things. 
your elite talent, your depth, and your culture. And I think Mike Norvell's done a nice job establishing the culture he wants there. And I think he's done a nice job improving the, the elite talent and the depth, um, you know, year after year after year, primarily at this point with the transfer portal. And so that was this year's transfer portal class. Last year's transfer portal class was also solid. They, they added Trey Benson, which was a big time evaluation by them because I don't think he was even necessarily like highly sought after, but he's definitely an NFL running back and a big time difference maker for them in the running game. Uh, Tatum Bethune, we talked about him as a Miami Florida state battle. He was a linebacker from UCF. He's definitely a very good college linebacker, kind of a tackle machine plays with speed and some violence. Uh, also, Johnny Wilson last year, mismatch, big wide receiver. Jared Verse, big-time pass rusher. These are difference-making type of players in the transfer portal. You look at their first transfer portal class, They, you know, 2021, they also landed some decent guys there that helped elevate their program to be in this position. Guys like Jermaine Johnson, first-round pick uh, at defensive end. Jamie Robinson. I think a really good college safety that was dependable and a playmaker for them. Keir Thomas was good in his one season at Florida State as a defensive lineman. So to me, they've done a nice job in the transfer portal, particularly with adding elite difference-making talent. And while I do think Miami has done a nice job in the portal in general, like I'm not criticizing the job they've done. I think they've elevated the depth via the transfer portal. I think there's something to be said for being able to land elite talent in the portal and, and kind of taking that next step and not worrying about the ramifications that come with that, if that makes sense. I, you know, they did it, I would say this offseason at offensive line with Matt Lee and JV and Cohen. Um Outside of that, I think they added some solid players, unless I'm missing some. Uh, they were some good evals, right? Definitely players that are uh, plus additions. But I think it's fair to say this offseason, I would like to see more elite difference makers added via the transfer portal, guys who can change the game um, and, and kind of take you to the next level. And look, I think, obviously, you, if that helps you achieve better results on the field, that's also going to help your recruiting ceiling. And we are seeing Florida State take that step with their high school recruiting ceiling this year because they are now getting the results on the field. So I don't know if that was a rant that like... No, that I mean, I, I think it's all, it's just, it's the reality of it. I mean... And you, I think that's like kind of like counterpoint is just like, like, all right. So if you're going to go all in on the transporter, how does that affect maybe your high school recruiting? But it's, I think, I think you can, I think, I think you you can do both. And I think Florida state's proving you can do both because they have hit the transfer portal super hard. And they also have the number four class in like the number four ranked class in the country. So I think, you know, I, I just think the bottom line and look, I just think there's three, there's three methods of talent acquisition these days. It's not just high school recruiting and junior college. It's like 
there is a third method and Miami's done it well. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they have yeah, it, but Florida state I agree. has clearly just really invested into that part of it. And I think, you know, especially as you're trying to figure out, cause Florida state was figuring it out up until like, I don't know, 13 months ago. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like it was like mid season last year where it all kind of clicked. Like before that they were, they were trying to keep their head above water. Like, you know, they, they yes. were, they, they, they were not this, uh, you know, again, 380 days ago uh so i think uh there's something to you know just kind of creating that lightning in a bottle by really really going heavy into the transfer portal and getting i, I think it's just those direct difference makers right like a keon coleman i mean how, how many like i'm not saying he's worth like whatever amount of wins like but like keon coleman has been a significant difference maker for florida state like having that outside wide receiver um, you know, getting guys like that who like directly impact games that like change games. Um, I think you need to find a way to get those types in in today's college football because the portal's there to be used. And uh, my, again, Miami's done it very well. Florida State's done it really well. But I think the big difference is there is that Florida State has maybe gotten some more of those just like high level difference makers where it's right. just really changed the trajectory of their program. And now they're obviously doing a good job of stacking that high school ta- or collecting the high school talent because they've gotten good pieces here and there, but they're, you know, they're really, really doing a good job uh, of acquiring and attracting, uh, you know, top level talent. I mean, they're going into Georgia and plucking some of the best players in Georgia. Like they have the best player in Georgia committed to them right now. KJ Bolden, the safety, mm-hmm. the number one ranked player in Georgia, the home of the back-to-back national champs. And they also flipped a tight end from Georgia, who again is another top ten player in the mm-hmm. state of Georgia. So they're they're doing a great job over there of just, you know, again, just doing all of those those types of things. Yes. So we're not at portal season yet, but I do think Miami needs to be a little more cutthroat this offseason with going out and getting guys that are definitely gonna start and make differences for you. And again, Whatever the fallout is from that with your own roster, it is what it is. Because you got to just go win games. That's the bottom line. So uh, we'll get out of here on that. Appreciate everyone for listening. Florida State Week is here. And it'll be a fun one. We'll get into it more in our next podcast. Till next time, take care.